I'm going to be talking about marriage on the rock today. Marriage on the rock. Not marriage on the rocks. But marriage on the rock of Jesus. And the reason why I'll be sharing this is because the Lord has been putting in my heart, also seeing society at large here in Nagaland, and also as we head further and deeper into the millennium, the challenges of the millennial lifestyle, millennial worldviews, that the challenges towards the traditional and biblical definition of marriage and relationships will be challenged more and more. We will see morals erode more and more in these days. And that's what God put in my heart to share about this, which is not only for those who are married, but also for those who hope to be married and for those who are planning to be married soon. Because these are all principles from the Word of God. And I truly believe it will prepare you, those of you who are single, for what God has prepared for you even in your married life in the future. There are many new couples that are here in church, recently married, and there's a need for these families to be established in the proper foundations of marriage and family. At the same time now in our society, we see more and more marital problems today. Divorces in the past when we were children would be spoken of always in hushed tones. But today, divorce is spoken of openly as if it is normal and as if it is expected in society. And like I said, the original God-ordained design for marriage is coming under attack more and more than ever. And when the church compromises in this area, or the church does not teach this in faith and according to truth, what happens is that it surrenders to the world the integrity of God's word and God's design for marriage so that the ideals begin to corrode further and further and we allow even the same liberal worldviews in the, in the world to come into the church. So I believe there's a mandate upon the church to really teach on God's design for marriage because that is one of the main ways that I believe God blesses the generations and the future to come. Hallelujah. So let's look into the Word of God. I'll be talking about principles from the Word of God. And I'll also be talking about practices. And both are important. The principles give us an understanding of God's vision and design for marriage. So that we can build on the right blueprint. The principle is the design of the building. We need to know what we are going to be building our marriage upon. And it comes from God's word. Not through family tradition, not through another culture and society practices. It must come from the word of God. Amen. Practices are those disciplines that we must apply into our daily practical life so that this foundational principles begin to work in our lives. Blessed are not only those who hear, but those who do the word of God. And this part also is absolutely important. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. If you can turn in your Bibles, everyone. Then God said, let us make man in our image. 
God did not say, let me make man. He said, let us. In other words, he was representing the Trinity. The triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Let us make man in our image. That means man was created not only in the image of the Father, not only in the image of the Son, but also in the image of the Trinity. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God created man, but that man, that word, defines both male and female. And both the male and the female are created in the image of God. Now just keep these verses in mind. Verse 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Not subordinate to him, comparable to him. So husbands, your wives are not your subordinate. But they are your helpmate. They are there to walk alongside with you as your partner in life. Not as your servant in life. Can all the women say amen? Amen. Look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Everyone say one flesh. Say one flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 to 32. Ephesians 5 31 to 32. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So marriage is supposed to represent a unity, a oneness. A oneness in what kind of example? In what kind of image? Verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, verse 32 is one of the keys to a successful marriage. But Paul says it is a great mystery. And for most husbands and wives, a successful marriage is a mystery. It's so mysterious that so many jokes have come out based on marriage. A man was wandering around in a field thinking about how good his wife had been to him and how fortunate he was to have her. He asked God, why did you make her so kind-hearted? The Lord responded, so you could love her, my son. Why did you make her so good-looking? So you could love her, my son. Why did you make her such a good cook? So you could love her, my son, said God to him. The man thought about this, and then he said, I don't mean to seem ungrateful or anything. Why did you make her so stupid? So she could love you, my son. That's what God replied. Any resemblance to anyone here in this room is merely coincidental, all right? 
A man inserted an ad in the classifieds and said, wife wanted. Next day, he received a hundred letters and they all said the same thing. You can have mine. Please don't leave your wife here behind today. The mystery of marriage is that many go in with expectations that it will be heaven on earth, but they begin to experience the opposite. We go into marriage thinking that we have figured out everything about one another, that we have figured out everything about a spouse, that everything will be smooth sailing, only to discover that we are in the middle of a storm after one or two years of marriage. And sometimes the storm can last for many years. And we do not know how to sail that ship. We are lost at sea. So marriage is a great mystery. And it is. If you are trying to build your marriage on the system of the world, the understanding of the world, it is a great mystery. It's a mystery that will always confuse you continually. But if you will understand it in the light of verse 32, Christ's relationship with the church, then it is not a mystery. So Christ's relationship with the church is the key to building your marriage on the rock and not your marriage on the rocks. Why do people find it difficult to navigate the mystery of marriage? Well, the first thing is this. People do not know how to build a successful marriage because they do not understand God's design for marriage, God's purpose for marriage. So because we don't know that, we enter in with false expectations. We think. And if you are thinking, girls, boys, that marriage is for your personal happiness, you will be deeply disappointed. God did not design marriage for your happiness, to live happily ever after. Number two, God did not design marriage for you to love and live together with the person the rest of your life. Even though that happens in marriage, that is not God's intention for marriage. So don't go into marriage expecting that alone. Number three, God did not design marriage simply to make children. That makes it such a functional aspect of marriage. It takes away the joy and the purpose behind marriage. Ah, I'm just going to get married and make children. No. There is more to marriage than just the biological responsibilities. Let me ask you this question. What if God designed marriage to make you holy for your character? What if marriage was designed, and this is all in the word, to be a channel for the gospel to be preached to the world? When you discover the purpose of marriage, you will discover a grace and a power from God to be able to live in the way God has ordained for you. So let's look at God's design for marriage. We see in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the verses that we read, and it brings us to one core principle. The first principle, the first design, and what is that? Are you ready for this? Write it down. Marriage is designed and every relationship that is God-ordained. All right? Every relationship that is God-ordained. Even a family relationship. Even a relationship before marriage, but you are planning to get married. That marriage, that relationship must bear the image of God to the entire world. Marriage is designed to carry the image of God. To bear the image of God. 
God is a trinity. He is dwelling in a relationship of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, representing perfect oneness and union. And the Bible says God created the male and the female in His image because God said, let us make man, the male and the female, in our image. That means not only individually as persons, like I am created in the image of God, you also are a new creation, not only as individuals, but even in the family relationship, in the marriage relationship, we must bear the image of the relationship of the Trinity. And God said, fill the earth after he blessed Adam and Eve. Fill the earth what? Simply with your children? I believe God's command covers more than just population expansion. Fill the earth, I believe, accurately means fill the earth with the image of God. What's the image of God? God is love. God is good. So God was telling Adam and Eve, I am creating you in my image. And you build your relationship in the image of the Trinity. And fill the earth with the knowledge of the goodness of God. Fill the earth with the presence of God. And even today, that same man that is on the church, whole earth shall be filled with the glory of God through the church. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. What is the image of God that we see most in the scriptures? Agape. God is love. The Trinity is agape. There's perfect acceptance. There's perfect communication. There's perfect patience. All three loving and giving to one another unconditionally. What is the image of God? That He is a good God. And we see all of that in the image of Christ in the Gospels. We also see that God is a relational being existing in a relationship of the Trinity. And through the Trinity, we see God blessing the whole earth. The Father's plan, the Son's sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's power. Through the relationship, the whole earth is blessed. So marriage is designed to be two individuals. Two individuals becoming one in spirit, soul, and body. And through that union, a family being established through which the goodness of God, the love of God, the presence of God can be seen by the world. Amen. God is creating the same triune relationship here on the earth. So in other words, this is this. Marriage is designed to be an evangelistic tool. Amen. For the gospel, the good news of God. So that the world will see in a Christ-blessed marriage, the gospel. Will see God and come to the knowledge of God. So marriage is about the kingdom. It is not about your personal happiness. Personal happiness is there, but that's not the primary focus. So now, once we understand this primary principle, the other principles come out of this first core principle. The other principles are this, relationship. Everyone say relationship. Oneness cannot be established because, understand this, the core principle is oneness. Everyone say oneness. Oneness. But for oneness to be established, relationship is important. Relationship. Relationship means communion, sharing, koinonia, sharing with one another. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And that also covers women. 
Because let me tell you this, loneliness can make people do crazy things. You do things when you are lonely that you would never do when you are with people, when your heart is full of love. When your heart is filled with loneliness and pain, we end up doing things that we would never do normally. Agree? Amen. There are four deepest needs of men that God meets in the marriage relationship or in other relationships. Even in a church relationship, God wants to meet that need. In a family relationship, God wants to meet that need. In God-ordained Christian relationships, friends, spiritual friends, God wants to meet these needs. Number one is this, acceptance. Acceptance. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to belong. Turn to your neighbor and smile at them. And say, I accept you. And you belong here. You see, in the Trinity, there's perfect acceptance. The Father accepts the Son and the Spirit. The, fun, the Son accepts the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit accepts the Father and the Son. And they belong completely. Amen. And in marriage, God wants us to experience that. All other relationships, we can experience that, but it is in the marriage that we can experience it at the deepest and the most intimate parts. Number two, identity. Everyone say identity. Identity means I am unique and I am significant and every human being has that need in his life. That is why when people ignore you, you feel hurt. When people don't know your name, you feel hurt. Because your name is unique, either that identifies you. In the Trinity, there is identity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. All three are unique with different roles and functions. So in a marriage relationship, God wants us to find our identity. In the family that comes out of the marriage, where every child is unique and has significance, has value, has love. Number three is security. Every man has the need to feel safe and secure. When you are insecure, we end up doing crazy things. When we are in fear, we end up reacting the wrong way. But when we are in safety, it also comes forth. We make the right decisions. So in the relationship of the Trinity, there's absolute security. The son has no fear that the father would reject him. The father has no insecurity that the son will one day take his place and rebel against the father. No, there's perfect safety and security in the relationship of the Trinity. And God wants that to be duplicated in the marriage relationship and then in the family. That's why your family is always a place of safety and security. And number four, purpose. Everyone say purpose. There is a reason for my life. All of us have a need to know that. And I believe this year, many in this church are entering into discovering God's purpose for your life. And that is giving you greater faith and greater peace and greater fulfillment. Because there is a greater purpose to your life than just your healing and your deliverance and your breakthroughs. And it is for the kingdom. Yesterday we had a business meeting and it was wonderful. And we realized that through the testimonies of the people, the purpose of your business is not to make money. Yes, you need to make money too, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of your business is really the kingdom of God. Making money happens along the way. 
Amen. So if you have a greater purpose than just making money, it enables you to tap into the grace, the wisdom, and the protection of God, and it elevates your business abilities. Hallelujah. So purpose. Purpose in the Trinity. All have purpose. So in the marriage relationship, God wants you to discover purpose too. The third principle is this. Covenant. Everyone say covenant. Marriage must be established on the principle of covenant. God has designed marriage to be a covenant. Not just a relationship. Not just an affidavit with the government. But a covenant which means an agreement where there cannot be a breaking of that contract or that agreement. You see, marriages today have no security. Today, marriages have no security because the partners do not understand the concept of covenant. They do not understand the concept of covenant. See, Jesus' relationship with his bride Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32. This is a great mercy, mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus' relationship with his bride, the church, is a covenant relationship. Everyone say covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a contract or an agreement that is based on the shedding of blood and a taking of vows that can never be broken. Covenant is a biblical concept. Jesus shed his blood and he surrendered his life. He gave up his life in order to receive the church as his bride. What this means is that Jesus will never abandon his bride. He will never forsake the church. Can you say amen? Jesus cannot break his vows. He has promised whoever will believe in me will not perish. Will not perish will not perish you cannot lose your salvation but you will have everlasting life can you say hallelujah that is his vow that is his promise based on his blood not based on how good you are not based on your performance it is based on his blood and his death and his resurrection that is a covenant so when we look to his vows and we look to his promises, it gives us security as a bride of Christ. His vows represent his covenant nature that God will never break his promise. So that has become the design for marriage. Covenant. To represent a covenant relationship that will last all the trials, the challenges, and the temptations of the enemy. Your marriage relationship. Married, going to get married in the future. Is designed to be a covenant relationship that will last all the storms that the enemy can throw at you. That will last all the temptations that may come upon you. And there's a purpose to that. There's a purpose to the covenant in the marriage relationship. That you will last every attack of the enemy. Every imperfection in both of your lives. So that the new generation of children will have hope. Hope in what? 
they will have a living example through your marriage that God is real. God is alive. Can you say amen? And that he honors faith and obedience. Now do you see why marriage is an evangelistic tool? When marriages break, families break, children lose their hope and trust in God. Societies begin to break down. Hallelujah. So marriage is never for the ultimate goal of your personal happiness. If marriage was for your personal happiness, think about it this way. The moment you feel unhappy about the person, what are you going to do? You're going to change that person. Have you ever felt unhappy about a friend? And you said, forget this friend. I'm going to go look for other friends. So people get unhappy with their spouses and they begin to think, I'm no longer fulfilled in this marriage. I'm no longer finding my satisfaction in this marriage. It is time to change. How many celebrities have said that before they found another partner? And after six months, they say the same thing again. Because they are looking for their own narcissistic pleasure. By narcissistic, I mean their own self. They're thinking marriage is for them. Marriage is not for you. Marriage is for God's design. In other words, marriage was created to form your character. Marriage was designed to grind you. For God to make a chutney out of you. And if you truly understand marriage, that's what happens. Yes, pastor. You need to make chutney for my husband, out of my husband. See, if you are thinking like that right now, you are the one that needs to be grounded. Don't receive this message and use it against your spouse. Use it for yourself. Amen. So for covenant to be established in your marriage relationship, you need to understand the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? God chose to love you even when you were undeserving. God chose to die on the cross for you and forgive you of your sins even when you were in your sins and you did not deserve it. And God did that because of his covenant with Jesus Christ. His agreement with Jesus Christ. And God will not break his part. Jesus will not break his part. So, in the same way, marriage is a union of two persons who choose to give to one another. What are you going to give to one another? The gospel. What is that? Grace. What does it mean? Forgive one another daily. That's the gospel. Christ forgave you even when you are not deserving of forgiveness. So marriage, you must give to one another. Remember the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. So our relationship must resemble that. What do we give to one another? The gospel. The gospel. Amen. Give forgiveness to one another daily. Give grace to one another undeservedly daily. Love one another without demanding from the other. If always one spouse is demanding, you are making it law-based. And when there is a demand that is put on the person, there's also a rebellion that comes out of the flesh. It's true. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Husbands, love without demanding submission. Don't say, if you will submit to me, then I will love you more. If you will respect me, then I will love you more. No, give grace. That means even if she does, she does not deserve your love, because she's always, you know, love her anyway. How? The gospel. In the same way, Christ loves you when you don't deserve it. Wives, submit without demanding love. If my, if my husband will love me, then I will submit. But my husband doesn't love me, so I will not submit. So you are actually making your marriage law-based. If he will do it, then I will do it. If she will do it, then I will do it. And both of you are waiting for the first person to break. And you're having this staring competition. And no one wants to bow down first. No one wants to humble themselves first. But grace says, I will submit even if you don't love me. I will love her even if she will not submit to me. Can you say amen? That releases the power of God into your marriage. I tell you. If you will just do the word of God by grace, it will release the power of God into your marriage. God's grace, God's miracle, God's grace will turn your marriage around. From hell to heaven maybe. I don't know whether you're going through hell. A bad marriage can really be like hell. A good marriage can be like heaven on earth. Why? Because a good marriage, a blessed marriage, represents the relationship of the Trinity. And the relationship of the Trinity is what? Agape. The Father is giving unconditional love to the Son. And the Son is giving unconditional love to the Father. And the Spirit is giving unconditional love to one another. It's unconditional. So that relationship must be portrayed in the marriage relationship. Unconditional. Amen. And it's too late to change. You're already married. So might as well stay there and start learning to walk in grace. So marriage is designed to change you. Not to change your spouse. God did not call you to change your husband. Husbands, God did not call you to change your wife. Stop playing the role of God in their lives. You do your part and God will change them. You cannot change them through nagging. You cannot change them through your anger. You cannot change them by being critical of them. The fourth principle is this. Agreement. Everyone say agreement. Oneness is reflected in agreement. The Trinity represents perfect oneness because there is perfect agreement. There's one mind in the Trinity. There is one heart. There's one speech. The Father will say the same, the Son will say the same, the Spirit will say the same. So, it doesn't mean that Jesus will heal, but God will give sickness, and the Holy Spirit will come and curse. It's like a confused trinity. If Jesus heals, it means God's will is to heal, and also means the Holy Spirit's will is to heal. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah! So God designed the marriage to portray that agreement. The two shall become one flesh. That means a union of spirit, soul, and body that displays the power of agreement. An agreement in all areas. Agreement in the way the children are brought up. 
agreement in the use of finances. God taught us when we were young in a married life how to come to a point of agreement in the use of our finances, how much to sow, how much to give people in, even in weddings. We would ask the Lord together. I would ask her, you ask the Lord, and I will ask the Lord, and we'll pray. And 90% of the times, it would come with the same number. So the Lord showed us how to come into agreement. And agreement is powerful because agreement will protect you. Agreement will preserve you. In all areas of life. See, even in the way that we respond to different people asking us things about our family, we must agree so that we can say the same things. To borrow money from people or from people borrowing money from us, there's agreement. We have decided that we will not lend money to anyone. So that agreement protects us and preserves us. I've heard horror stories of wives borrowing money without the husband knowing, and only when the interest has gone into the several lakhs of rupees, the husband comes to know, and vice versa. You see, because they did things without agreement, the enemy came and destroyed their lives. Hallelujah. Psalms 133 verse 3 talks about the blessing of unity. In unity, the Bible says the Lord commands the blessing. There, the Lord commands the blessing. In unity. It's powerful. In agreement, there is a command of blessing. So when husband and wives learn to walk in agreement, there is a commanded blessing of the Lord there. In Matthew 18 verse 19, the Bible says, If two or three on earth shall agree on anything, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. So the design for marriage is that we become one. One in all areas of our lives. And through that oneness, we will experience blessings. So the fifth principle is this. Marriage is designed to be a blessing. To be a blessing. And that is usually where you experience your happiness, where you experience your fulfillment. But that's not the only principle, not the only design. Marriage is designed to be a blessing. God told Abraham and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth, have dominion. In other words, God wanted Adam and Eve's relationship to flourish. To flourish in the aspect of having children. To flourish in the aspect of a strong family being founded. So that through that strong family, the generations become strong. And when the generations are strong, the society is strong and the nation is strong. If you want to destroy a nation, always go to the foundation of the family. And do you know why Satan now is attacking God's design of marriage so much through liberal media and even through the governments which are changing God's design for a family? A family is a man and a woman producing children and having a core unit that is established on blood relationships. Out of the family comes the clan, the clan of the clan comes the village and so on. But if a family can be defined as man and man, woman and woman, you're attacking the core image of God in the family. And I tell you, it will have severe repercussions in the future generations. 
It will destroy the very moral fabric of a nation. And when the moral fabric of a nation is destroyed, you weaken the nation. Because our strength is not only in our intelligence. It is not only in our abilities. It is not only in our guns. Let me tell you, the strength of every nation is in its morals. It's in the heart. Amen. So God has designed marriage to flourish. In order to experience that, a marriage needs to be built on practical practices daily. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, Jesus talks about the wise builder who builds his house on the rock. And the foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. And the storms came and the winds came and the water came. But the wise builder who built his house on the rock, he withstood the storms that came. But the one who built his house on the sand, everything he built was destroyed. And then Jesus says, if you hear these sayings of mind and do them, then you are like that wise builder who built his house on the rock. So it is not only hearing these principles, but you must practice these principles in practical disciplines. And that is how you are doing the word. And only that person is wise. A lot of people who seem wise can make a lot of great speeches, but they have not done the word of God. They are not walking on practical daily faith. And so when the storms of life come, the wisdom is proven to be false. So wisdom must always bring us to practical faith expressions. If you want fitness, how many of you agree fitness is important? Yes. How many of you exercise daily? So how many of you are wise? How many of you are building on sand? You see, many of us have this desire to have a fit life, but we don't exercise. We don't eat well. We only talk. So you're building your house on the sand. The goal of fitness, it comes through daily practices of fitness regimes, exercises, dieting, and so on. So these are the things that I want you to write down. All right? Even in the future, those of you who are not married, the moment you meet your future spouse, you say, Hey, make that a condition. <laughs> Number one, pray together. Pray together. Set apart times in a day when you pray together. Or sometimes it could be during a week, three or four times. Nowadays, both husband and wife's work, it is difficult. We understand that. But as far as possible, take time to pray together. Even if it's five minutes, ten minutes. And sometimes you can pray and fast together longer times. There is nothing like the power of prayer to bring a husband and wife into deep intimacy. And it's an intimacy that is beyond sex. Because here you will experience real spiritual union. And I tell you, there's such a sweetness in that. That even a physical desire being fulfilled cannot match. Number two. Make sure you're receiving the same teachings. The same word. That you come to Bible study together. That you come to church together. You're reading the same books together. Why? Because it is the teaching that causes your mind to be one. 
It causes you to become one in your beliefs, one in your philosophy of how to raise up children, one in how you should use your finances. I still know of husband and wives who tied separately. The husband tied separately, the wives tied separately. They don't even know how much both of them earn. Now that's dangerous. Because that is divided, and when it is divided, there is no blessing there. I tell you, your future finances will be attacked by the devil. You will not experience the blessing of God in your future finances. But when you make it one, when you get the same word, and you tie it together, and you use your finances together, there is a protection there. There is a blessing from God there. And that's why you need to get the same teaching. Sometimes husbands come to church, the wives don't come, the wives don't get faith, the wives come, the husbands don't come, they don't get the same teaching, they go back home and they say, well, you know, we should do this. But the wife says, why do I, do, why do I need to do that? And so that's where the disagreement begins to develop. There's no oneness. How does oneness develop? Oneness develops when we have the same teachings, when we get the same word. We are progressing towards oneness. Hallelujah. Number three, communicate regularly. Everyone say communicate regularly. Husband and wives, accept each other's faults without judging. Accept each other's faults without judging. Listen, listen, and listen without reacting. Now, this is very important. This is one of the main areas where there's marital conflicts. We listen to comment. That is a severe mistake. Don't listen to comment. Don't listen to judge. Don't listen to give your opinions. Listen to listen. You must create a safe environment where the other person feels free to keep on talking without the fear of being judged or criticized. When the spouse is too quick to display displeasure, like the husband is talking and the wife is making faces, and then, you know, the husband will stop talking. Amen. Or even the other way, when the wife is talking and the husband is making faces, rolling the eyes, you're already expressing displeasure. It's not a safe environment. The other person will not have the safety to speak. You see, so we should not listen to react. We must listen to listen. Don't listen to judge. Don't listen to react. Just listen. Sometimes people talk not because they want an advice from you. They just want you to listen. But we are too quick to advise. See, people who are too quick to give opinions and advice also is a sign of self-righteousness. Just listen. Because there is empathy that is being experienced if you are just listening. And the third thing is this in communication. Talk and talk and talk without fear. But usually it needs both. If someone will just listen, the other person will talk. But if when you are talking and they're expressing displeasure, they're quick to react, that person stops talking. It's like, oh, forget it. Fourth practice. Forgive one another daily. Marriage is a union of two good forgivers. Billy Graham's wife said that. 
Forgive one another daily. Daily. That's why I said marriage is designed to ground you. Because every day you have to forgive one another. Every day you have to humble yourself. Amen. Fifth. Express affection to one another daily. Could be hugs, holding hands, saying I love you. Don't wait for the other person to say and then you say. Like I said, you initiate without expecting, without demanding. Amen. Hugging often. Number six. You need to share everything you have. Like means whatever you go through the day, share with one another. Who you met, share with one another. You tithe as one. Share your problems, share your friends. Do things together. Like go to weddings together. It protects you. That's why in ministry, I always encourage people, make sure your wife is there with you too. Because I tell you, there's so many temptations, even in ministry. I know certain ministries where when the husband is praying for people, they make it a rule, the wife must be standing next to the husband. Why? Because all types of animals come for receiving prayer. Amen. You must understand this. And we must practice this. Go to parties together. The husband wants to go with his friends and drink. And the wife says, it's okay, you go with your friends. But they didn't know that when they were having that party, there were other women there. And that's how the marital affair began to develop. So do things together. When you are together, there is a boundary that is automatically created. And people also don't have the freedom to come and make advances that are improper. Amen. Now we know that practically we cannot do this all the time, but we must make efforts as far as it is possible. And then if you are traveling to different places, make efforts to call on the phone and talk. It's like reporting to one another how your day was, but it's important to do that. I also struggle to do that, but I'm getting better at that nowadays. Where I call and tell, you know, how was your day? How was your day? Okay. Even if it's just one minute or two minutes, it's important to call every day. And to make that communication constant. Why? Because oneness, relationship, it always works through the practice of communication. Amen. Hallelujah. Every major decision that you have, do it in agreement. If you can't agree, like say you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, and you can't agree, wait till there is peace in both the husband and the wife. If I had listened to that counsel that we were taught in Bible school, but there were times I thought I was smarter than my wife and she knows nothing about money. Even if she may not know much about money, the Holy Spirit can give you peace. The Holy Spirit knows more than me. If I had listened to my wife's counsel, I would have saved a lot of money. But I did not. Because we were not in agreement, but I thought I was smarter and I went ahead and I lost the money. And my wife said, I don't have peace. See, agreement will protect you. But because together your prayers can be more powerful. Together you can hear better from God. Hallelujah. So if there is lack of peace in one of the spouses, you wait. Wait. Wait till there is peace. Amen. If there's no peace, you pray more. Till there is agreement. 
Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 and we close here. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What does it mean? It means you can have a blessed marriage. You can have a prosperous marriage. You can have a great marriage. It is possible. But it is through Christ who will strengthen both you and your spouse. Amen. I want to thank you very much for listening to this message. If you would like to get in touch with us with any prayer requests that we can pray for you, kindly email us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com or you can even visit our website faithharvest.in and message us and we will be privileged to get in touch with you. I would also encourage you to consider becoming a partner with us and help us in this vision to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it available to all the nations. All the details are available on our website and you can visit that. Thank you very much once again and God bless you.